I'm happy to be here with you all this morning. My name is Nathan Parikh. I'm blessed to serve on staff here at Hallmark. It's my honor to preach here during the last uh, family worship of 2019, the last service of 2019. I hope you all had a great Christmas. How many of you are recovered from Christmas? Have you recovered yet? All right. (laughs) Kids, students, did you all get what you asked for? Some no's? All right, well, there's always your birthday. That was always my strategy. If if I didn't get what I wanted for Christmas, it went straight on to my uh, birthday list. Well, I don't know what it is about uh, Christmas, but just the whole environment makes me kind of nostalgic. Uh, During this time of year, I always like to look at old family photos. I like to look back just at Christmas's past and times with the family in the past. But I also like to look back at old, old family photos from like generations ago on both my side, on my wife's side of the family. I like looking back at old family photos, just seeing, you know, where it is that we came from. But I also enjoy seeing uh, the family resemblances across the generations, where I can look back at old family members that I've never seen, never met before, but I can tell, yeah, I'm related, to, I'm related to that person, my wife is related to that person, like the physical similarities are just there. A couple of years ago, my dad sent me an old photo of one of my great uh, grandfathers from India. I never met him before, but as soon as I got the photo, I could tell that we were related because I opened it up and I look just like him. And so his physical traits had passed down on to me. We also know that family traits can be more than physical. They can be personality traits, right? Where an uncle will pass on, it seems like, his traits to his nephew, or a granddaughter will act like her grandmother, or a child will act like one of her parents. Uh, my wife and I are super excited because in about five weeks, Lord willing, we'll be welcoming our first child into the world, a little baby girl. And so I'm excited to see uh, what she's going to look like, Uh, what her personality is going to be like. Uh, Just the combination of our traits in her to me is just going to be wild. But the Bible says that whenever you and I follow Jesus, we become a part of God's family. And God has certain family traits that he wants us to have. Uh, He has in the Bible to said that there's one trait in particular, though, that is so important that Whenever we are a follower of Jesus, he said, I want this to be the one thing, the one family trait that gets passed on. So open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And this is the family trait that I want us to look at and respond to this morning. So as you turn to John chapter 13, the Apostle John was one of the closest friends, one of the closest followers of Jesus. And so he paid close attention to the commands, to the traditions to the family traits, if you will, that Jesus was setting up for his faith family. And so God used John to write five books of the New Testament. And with all of John's writings, you can kind of get a sense of this recurring theme, this family trait that is present in almost everything that he writes. It's there. And so as we get to John chapter 13, we find what is the beginning of Jesus' final teachings before he is arrested and crucified. These aren't public teachings. These are uh, private teachings between him and the disciples. Uh, They're celebrating a holiday. It's the Jewish Passover, one of the biggest holidays that they have. And they're having a Passover meal. And it's in that upper room when they're having that meal that Jesus begins to teach here in John chapter 13. So let's begin in verse 1. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In these verses, we see that Jesus serves his disciples. Right here in the beginning in verse 1, John begins to show us what the motivation was for Jesus to do this extraordinary act of service. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So love is the driving force, the driving motivation between what Jesus is about to do. And by this time, the disciples have been with Jesus for about three years. They've seen him do all kinds of miracles. Uh, they've seen him love on the crowds of people that would throng him day after day after day. But even after spending those three years with Jesus, they're still shocked by what he is about to do, and we should be shocked as well. You know, I've always given props to my friends who work in the food industry, whether they are a waiter, a waitress, or whether they're in the back working as a cook or as a dishwasher. Uh, those can often be dirty and thankless jobs. But can you imagine having a job where you had to wash the feet of everyone who walks in? How many of you here have um, an aversion to feet? Feet kind of weird you out. Anyone like that in here? Okay, well, I want you to imagine that it's mid-July in Texas, it's hot, it's flip-flop season, and it's your job to wash the feet of everyone that walks into McDonald's. How many of you would take that job? Okay, no one. How many of you would do it for free? For sure no one, right? But it's not any different during the time of Jesus either. No one wanted to wash someone else's feet. This was the job of a lowly servant. This was not the job of a master or of a rabbi. You know, so whenever we come to this passage here, I think it's really interesting. This will blow your mind, but verse 3 comes before verse 4. Crazy, right? But in verse 3, it shows us that Jesus knows exactly who he is. It is reminding us that Jesus knows that he is the Son of God, that he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he has not forgotten his rank. But in spite of that, he goes on in verse 4 to do something that we would not expect someone in that position to do. So I hope you're beginning to pick up on this family trait that Jesus is going to be passing on to us here. I also think it's interesting to see which two disciples are mentioned by name in these first six verses. The first one is Judas. Jesus washes Judas's feet, knowing that in just a few hours, Judas with his feet freshly cleaned by Jesus would go out and betray him to be murdered. And the next person we see that Jesus washes his feet is Peter, knowing that in just a few hours, Peter, cursing and swearing, would even deny that he even knew who Jesus was. Despite knowing this ahead of time, Jesus still, he kneels down, he takes their dirty feet in his hands, and he begins to wash them. He's showing us here that love is more than feelings. It is action. Love is more than feelings. 
It is action. Love is an act. That is why love always manifests itself. Love always works itself out into what we do. The word that John uses for love here in John 13 and really throughout most of his writings is a word that describes not an emotionally driven love, but an action-based love. And so that's what John talks about over and over and over again. That's what we see Jesus doing here. He is showing his love for his disciples, not just by saying, I love you, but by kneeling down and doing what no one else expected him to do. So let's continue the story now in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So in these verses, we see that Jesus sets an example. He sets an example for us. You know, him washing the feet of the, of the disciples uh, blew them away. But he's making it clear that what he's doing here needs to be passed on. This is supposed to be a family trait that is passed on to generations after Jesus. He wants this to be one of his family traits. And in doing this, he removes any excuse that anyone could ever have for not serving or not loving. If Jesus is willing to serve by kneeling down and washing someone's dirty feet, what is it that you and I are above doing? Nothing. If Jesus could wash the feet of someone who's, who was going to betray him to be murdered, who is it that you and I are above loving? No one. He's showing us here that no one is above loving someone else. I am not above serving anyone. And it's good to know that. It's good that we all say that we believe that. But he also makes it clear that the real blessing comes from following through with action. You know, hearing uh, good preaching, going to connect group, and learning from the Bible, those are all good and necessary things. But they will not give you the full blessing that God wants you to give unless you follow through with action. Unless you actually do what all of that preaching and all that teaching says. You know, I've been blessed to grow up in the church my whole life. I've heard a lot of really good sermons. I've read the entire Bible, but that all will do me no good if I never choose to obey what all those sermons taught me, what all of that reading taught me. If I never actually act upon what God has taught me, then I will not be fully blessed. And so he makes it clear it's not the knowing that brings the blessing, but the doing. So if we are to do something, where are we to act out this service? Well, he says in verse 14, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So who are those one another's? It's the disciples. It's other followers of Jesus. There's no way that you and I can fully obey this or follow this example apart from the local church. If it's just you and Jesus, whose feet are you going to wash? Who are the one another's that are in your life? You know, right now the opposite is popular where you can say, hey, I love Jesus, but the church not so much. And there's a lot of people that have isolated and insulated themselves from having a faith community. They listen to podcasts, they, they watch sermons and other really good content 
that's available online. And that's really good because they increase in their knowledge. They are receiving the blessings of learning more about God and who he is. And that's an awesome thing to do. But then they stop there. I think we can all sympathize with that because we've all probably have been there at some point or another. Or say, hey, I'd rather not go to church. I'd rather not participate. I'd rather just sit back and passively take it all in. Like I said, I've grown up in church my whole life. And so because of that, most of the people that have offended me in my life, most of the people that have hurt me or my family in my life have been other Christians in churches. And so it's easy to say, hey, I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to withdraw from this community because everyone's not perfect. But God has called us to be a part of a faith community. He's called us to be part of a family. I mean, just look at this dinner with Jesus and the disciples. There's going to be arguing. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be betrayal for murder. It's a dysfunctional family, right? But God has called us to be a part of this family nonetheless. And you know, whenever Judas betrayed Jesus, he wasn't just betraying Jesus. He was also betraying the other disciples. And when that happened, the disciples didn't quit the church because Judas turned out to be a hypocrite. You know, we all will fail each other at some point or another. In my quest to love you as Jesus loved me, I will fall short, and vice versa. But that's why Jesus makes his love and his example the driving force and the driving motivation for this loving service, because he never fails. So let's jump down now to verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In these verses, we see that Jesus starts something new. He starts something new. He tells his disciples in verse 33 that he's not going to be with them for much longer. And so now he gives them something to do while he is gone. What does he want his followers doing in his absence? And so he has washed their feet. He's shown them what real love looks like. He said, this is an example. And now he says, now go and do this for each other. Now, ever since the book of Leviticus, God, which is way back in the Old Testament, God told his people to love your neighbor as yourself. So what makes this commandment new is the change from neighbor to one another and the change from as yourself to as I have loved you. Do you see the difference? We're not loving people just as much as we love ourselves anymore. We're loving them in the way that Jesus loved us, which is even a higher love, a greater love. And so Christian love has the serving, action-taking love of Jesus as the example and the community of believers as the place where we live out that loving service, right? He is our example, and the community of believers is where we act out that love. So he gives us the why behind this new command in verse 35, and he tells us that how I love other Christians changes the world. How you and I love other Christians will change the world. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That was the one thing, this is the one family trait that Jesus picks. Of all the things that he could have picked by which we could be known as his followers, this is the one that he chooses. He doesn't choose our families, our Bible knowledge, our preaching, our politics, 
nothing. He focuses only on our love for each other. He chooses something that can apply to all people, across all nations, across all time, no matter how rich or poor you are, you can love someone else. You can serve other people. You know, it's popular in our culture today to want to be an influencer. And he's telling us here that if you want to be an influencer, then serve other Christians. Because that is what will point the whole world to the true love of Jesus. And this command to love other believers is not just limited to the Sunday morning service. This is not supposed to be something where you show up for an hour, check a box, I've completed my loving service for the week. This is supposed to be a way of life. This is supposed to be who we are outside of these walls. Otherwise, how will the world know? How will your friends or family know the love of Jesus if all the loving only takes place for an hour on Sunday morning? This is supposed to be who we are every day. And how much would that change not only our world, but also our, our church? It would change the way we approach each other. It would heal a lot of hurt and offenses that have happened or keep things from happening. If we all approached each other with the attitude of saying, hey, I am not above loving or serving anyone here. I will do anything for anyone. If Jesus could wash the feet of Judas, I can serve anyone in this church. I can do anything that God asks me to do. So with all this, you might be thinking, well, what about people that aren't Christians? Aren't we called to love and serve them too? And the answer is, of course, yes. But here's the thing. The overflow of God's love in your life should reach and touch those who are closest to you first. The pattern that we see all throughout the New Testament is that whenever God's love takes over someone's heart, the first people to experience the effects of that love outside of that person are the people closest to them, the people within the faith community. And as it leaks out of there, then it will go out into the whole world. And so God has called us to love the other Christians that are in our life. I like to call this commandment a dusty command. Dusty because like an old book on a shelf, it can be dusty because it hasn't been touched in a while. It's forgotten about. But dusty also because of what's involved. It involves kneeling down, getting our hands dirty, and serving each other. But Jesus said, this is the main way that Fort Worth, Burleson, Crowley would know that we are disciples, that we are followers of Jesus. It's not by what we post on Facebook. It's not by the other stances that we take. The main evidence is the way that you and I love and serve each other. You know, almost 60 years later, long after Jesus has gone back into heaven, this family trait of love was still burning in the Apostle John's heart when he wrote the book of 1 John. And when he's writing this book, he says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love always manifests itself. It always makes itself visible. Christmas, what we just celebrated, is a celebration of the ultimate manifestation of love. When Jesus made himself visible, made himself available to us, not just God from heaven saying, I love you, 
but God sending his son from heaven to show us that he does love us. And listen to the force of some of these other verses from 1 John chapter 4. Verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this commandment we have from him. I can't help but think that John was thinking back to this time in the upper room in John 13 when Jesus gave them that new commandment. You know, people can reject the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They can reject uh, the exclusive claims that Jesus makes, but they cannot deny the way that you and I love each other. No one can deny the fact that you and I love and serve each other the way that Jesus said that we ought to. The word Christian means little Christ's. It was not a name that we gave to ourselves. It was a name that the early followers of Jesus were given by the people who were watching them. Even though they didn't like them, even though they didn't understand them, they looked at their lives, they looked at their love for each other, and they said, these people are like little versions of Jesus because of the way that they love and they serve each other. I can't help but wonder and ask myself, if people were to examine my life from a distance— if they were to examine the lives of the members of Hallmark, would they label us as little mini Jesus? Or are we just as self-centered and unforgiving as the rest of the world? He has called us to say, hey, look, this is the one family trait that I want you to have. This is the way that people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Shortly after the Son of God washed the feet of the disciples, he would do something even more shocking, even more dramatic. He would lay down his life for us. He would sacrifice his body and his flesh on the cross, not because of anything he had done, but because of all of the sins that you and I have done. In his love, he took action. This is the type of love John was talking about when he wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So if this morning you've heard about Jesus, you know a lot of facts about him, maybe like me, you've grown up in church your whole life, you've read a lot of stories in the Bible, but you've never done anything with that knowledge, you've never turned away from your sins and trusted in Jesus alone to save you, I want to encourage you this morning to take action. In a few moments, we'll have an invitation, we'll have an offering. If you want to take that Connect card, put a check mark by the box that says, I want more information about our relationship with Jesus, you can bring it up front or just drop it in the bag and we'll follow up with you. But everyone else, for the rest of the members of Hallmark, I want you to look around for a minute. Just take a second and look around. These are the people that Jesus has called you to love and to serve. These are the people that God has called me to love and to serve. If you and I can't love each other here in this room, we'll never reach anyone outside of this room. God said that this is the way that people would know that we are followers of him. By the way that right here in this room, how do I love and serve you? How do you love and serve me? This one family trait, how we love and serve the kids, students, and adults in this room will change the world. It'll change Fort Worth, 
It'll change Crowley. It'll change Burleson, the way you and I love each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, I thank you for the example of love that you gave to us. Thank you for not just loving us in theory or in words, but in action. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us from our sins. Thank you for the incredible example he gave us, washing the feet of the disciples, even those who would betray him, even those who would deny him, Lord, he served. I pray, Lord, that I would carry on this family trait of loving service. I pray that as a church, that Hallmark, that we would take this to heart going into 2020, that we would not be above serving or loving anyone. I pray that we would be known for our love. I pray that people here in Fort Worth and Burleson and Crowley would, they might not like us, they might not agree with us, but I pray that they would at least know that we love you and that we love each other and that we love people. I also pray that if there's someone here this morning that has knowledge of you, but they've never personally had a relationship with you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself now and that they would turn from their sins and trust in Christ for salvation. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Ben and the worship team lead us, the altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. Uh, If you want to take action and follow Jesus, uh, we'll be available to you up front, or you can drop your card in the offering bag.